as a warning, I am in a, an extremely facetious, uh, you know, just a facetious mood tonight. Just uh, a lot of people are going to get very mad. I just, uh, what do you mean? I'm just in a facetious mood. Matter of fact, to show you how facetious, uh, the time now, courtesy of WR Western Union time, is six minutes past ten o'clock. The temperature is 23 degrees. There are only two more shopping days till Christmas. And our guest tonight is Cleveland Amory. He spends more time on the air than James Whitmore spends in the infantry. All right, gang, time now for our $50,000 sports quiz. Can you tell me the name of the school that this theme song pertains to? All set? Give me a little echo chamber in there. is our $50,000 sports quiz for tonight. Uh, give me a call, and uh, we'll see if you're really on top of the sports world. Whose school song is that? Once again, let's have just one phrase out of it. All said. Now, that is our $50,000 sports quiz, and now let's give them that 30-second time interval, please. One, two, three. All right, thank you very much, and now we will give you a clue. It is not the Notre Dame fight song. Please bring it on. Razzmatazz. The time is up, and the $50, $50,000 sports quiz now goes to $55,000. Nobody got it. Notre will make New Jersey. I fancy. Fight, 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 old Clifton High. And uh, now let's try it again for $55,000. Here's one for you. Uh -huh. 
sorry, all of you know that one. Uh, that is good for $55,000 here in our sports quiz. And now let's uh, return. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of sports, you know, uh, by George, it's getting more exciting as days go on. The competitive spirit is rising here in these... Oh, uh, uh, the clue. Let's give them 30 seconds, please. Give them the time interval there. We will give you one clue for the last song, which you heard. It was not on Wisconsin. All right, once again, we have beaten the sport fans out there everywhere, and our prize now goes to $60,000. The one that you just heard, you would like to hear it recapped there. song was the Laporte Slicers, Indiana, on Laporte, on Laporte. Take that ball around, clear around them other guys. Ra, 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 every time Laporte, on Laporte. A fantastic song, and all of you should know that. I'm very sorry. Once again, W-O-R, and this radio station wins in its sports quiz. Better luck next time. Hey, what, what, what is it? What is Seton Hall song? What was that? I can't believe it. Uh, come on, don't tell me that. No school would have a song like that. Now I know that there were a lot of funny lyrics to our school song, but what was that? When the saints go marching in. When the saints, oh, when them saints, when them saints go marching. Well, if it's like the school song that we had, it has about 17 different lyrics that are rarely sung in the auditorium, at least uh, out loud. Uh, well, at least when uh, <laughs> when Mr. Abernathy is up there with his stick leading the band, you know, and everybody's, uh, you know... Uh, it's a funny thing, uh, speaking of games, I uh, got my game music up there. Last night we did a little thing about games. And I was forcibly struck, and uh, like hit over the head, see. I have noticed, I know, I've noticed something here at, uh, at this vast organization here that we're a part of. And uh, it's, it's something I, I suspect that pertains to any big organization. And that is, is the inverse distance from the scene of the action law. Let's put it this way. Lushness increases as the inverse distance from the scene of the action becomes greater, squared, pi over 2, which uh, means really that, uh, that, the, that, the, that, the, that the more the office is less consequential, the lusher the surroundings are. And the closer you get to where the guys are really doing the stuff, 
the more like a rotten, crummy, battered hovel it looks. As a matter of fact, <laughs> as a matter of fact, you know, it's, it's funny. In this vast organization we're here, they just reorganized and did a lot of decorating, see. And the further out you go, every organization, if you can imagine, it's like a wheel. And at the, at the hub, right there where the old axle is, is where guys are with the picks. And they're making it, you know. They're really turning out the product upon which this entire uh, klutz nest is dependent. You know, it's what it is. I don't, care, I don't care whether it's bread or whether it's shoes or radio programs or uh, television films. You name it. It doesn't make any difference. That, they're, that, that each, each organization sells something. Now, they, it, it's often forgotten that they do, you know, they, they forget all about that. And it, it creates a certain thing. And without this certain thing, the organization would not exist. It'd just forget it. It just wouldn't happen. That's the end of it. Well, of course, that's a hard pill for a guy who, let's say, is in the PR department to swallow. It is a bitter, bitter, awful, uh, you have to drink it down to the dregs when you find yourself in something called merchandising research department has nothing whatsoever to do with these guys that are down there with the picks and they're making this thing and they're packing it in the boxes and they're working sweating away you know <laughs> and, and and so to assuage that you have to assume a stance of importance and so here at this vast organization you see way out in the outriggers there are guys who don't even know we're in radio they don't even know we're in radio. They don't. They don't. I'm not kidding you. They don't know what we do here. Not a bit. They don't know we have radio, television, none of this stuff. And you, you should see their offices. They have these fantastic offices, and they've got they've got original Picassos hanging on the walls. The walls are made of velveteen, and they've got these tall, thin, razor sharp girls that step right out of the pages of Vogue. That is also part of my inverse distance ratio, Hootenanny. Uh, formula that the girls get shorter and fatter as you get closer to the scene of action it's the truth and they get more beautiful more cool more cutting more put downable <laughs> than, you know, until, until the other day you know I, inadvertently I wandered into this department here at the radio station and they had oh yeah I walked in I thought I was back in the Amazon jungles I walked in there and the the, the rugs were up to my knees instantly and I could smell perfume in the air, heady perfume. And I thought, of course, that I had wandered inadvertently into some organization that had nothing to do with us. You know, there was just, and I was just, oh, excuse me. And this girl sitting at the desk says, what can I do for you? And I said, I, uh, um, this is a silly question, but then is uh, Mr. Charles W. Watanabe have an office in here? He says, Oh, yes, of course, Mr. Watanabe. She rings a bell. And she, by the way, she had a pink telephone. The telephones that we have where the radio is really done have handles sticking out of the side. You wind them up. They're field phones left over from an old war. And uh, she had this pink telephone, beautiful thing. It was made out of alabaster. And she ah, ah, had little buttons and little lights that lit up and little red flags that came up and all that. And she whispered into it. She says, may I say who's calling, please? I said, well, uh, tell him Mr. Shepard work here. She says, uh, a Mr. Shepard, he says he works here. I have never seen him myself. 
Well, you know, I felt terrible. And, you know, it's just a very embarrassing thing. And a couple of minutes later, I'm ushered into his office. And uh, he's, you know, he's involved in our business. Somewhere, I somehow, I was sent to see him. And he says, uh, here, here's the form here. I'd have you sign it for our records, please. You say your name is Shepard? Mr. Shepard, I see. <laughs> All right, George, this is a big organization. Uh, what do you do here? So, I'm on the radio. On the radio? Heaven's sakes. He writes it down. I should listen to you sometime. What station are you on? I said, what station? Well, gee, I don't know. No, I, I'm not sure. Are you sure that I'm in the right station here? And he says, uh, yeah, right station. No, you're in the merchandising multiple duplex dipole insurance quadratic department here. Uh, we're not in radio here. There you go. Son, there you go. There you go. Close the door on your way out, please. And I, boy, this heady atmosphere. And I finally drifted back here into the studios. You know, we, the studios, you see the plasters falling down on my head and all that stuff. And, and I could smell the old sweatshirts and... You know, people are working and struggling around here. And, and I thought, gee, you know, wouldn't they be disappointed, those people out in the front there, if they discovered what business we're in? Because, you know, the, I could see looking around, this is the kind of people, they never listen to the radio, watch television. These are the people that spend all their time applauding Barbara Streisand and, and uh, you know... Uh, going to see things like Mary Martin, and I thought, gee, wouldn't it be awful if they found out one day and uh, there'd have to be a lot of soul-searching, awful things going on. And so, uh, if you stay tuned, friends, in a few minutes... Oh, in fact, I might as well do it right now. I am going to propose a new game. You know all those great games that we read about the other night? Games like uh, The Battle of Bulge. I think there's better games than that. How about a game called... Office. Eh? And it has a track, you see. And you start out in the mail room. And uh, you start down in the in the production department where work is done, see, on the board. And that's the lowest point of uh, the game, you see. If you stay there, you know, if you spin it, it says, uh, you have just missed your turn, stay in production. That means you're dead. Uh, on the other hand, if you spin it and it says, you have just been promoted... You are now second assistant promotional merchandising manager. And you move up seven spaces. And every man in the game, of course, uh, to begin with, is given a pad of 15 memos. And the object is to get rid of all your memos. And the guy who loses the game is the guy who winds up with all the memos in front of him. You say the point of the game is that there's a big difference between a memo getter and a memo sender. Friends, which are you? Play the new game. It'll be fun for Christmas. Office. Friends. And you pick up a little card that says, Go to the unemployment department. Miss four turns. You have just received a key to the men's room. You have just lost your key to a men's room. You'll have to wait. Very good. Uh, speaking of uh, giant octopi, this is WOR AM and FM, New Yorkie. Miller, 
highlight the bright, clear taste in beer. Miller highlight the champagne of bottled beer. There's only one champagne of bottled beer. Sparkling. Flavorful. Distinctive. Miller highlight. From a century-old recipe, Miller High Life has a rich heritage and tradition. A bright, clear taste. Unequaled, unquestioned, unchanging. Available on tap, in cans, and in the familiar crystal clear bottle. Miller High Life is always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Enjoy Miller High Life yourself. Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. Yes, Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. You know, uh, speaking of uh, legendary organizations, uh, are you aware, Bob, that tomorrow night, you know, going to Seton Hall is going to be exceedingly interesting to me because I come from the Midwest. And one time when I was working out in the Midwest, I did a whole show about legendary colleges. Now, by, by legendary colleges, I don't mean, you know, the great, fantastic universities, you know, like uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, UCLA, and all that. I meant colleges that you only hear of at a certain time of the year in other parts of the country. It's just, you know, it's really... And, and, and I did, I did a, a whole show in which one, sh- one of the questions I asked, I says, I... Is there a Seton Hall, or or is this is this just a score that comes in? <laughs> you know? and, and it's like Ball State teachers. Is there really a Ball State teachers? I mean, you know, where guys are, are afraid they're going to flunk and they're getting yelled at and they walk around and they steal library books and you know, just like a college. Is there, for example, a Hardin Simmons that I keep hearing about every Saturday? Uh, and 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 Seton Hall is a special kind. Only during basketball season do you hear a seat in the hall. And because I come from a part of the country where basketball is the state religion. Uh, seriously, uh, uh, believe me, a guy who has a push shot, uh, a guy who, who really has, has got a fantastic hook shot, is genuinely one of the aristocracy in the state of Indiana. And so uh, everybody reads all the basketball scores out there, maniacally, all over the country. At Seton Hall is one of those schools. Another one is St. Joseph's. We always hear about St. Joseph's. You never hear about any other time of the year. And, and it seems like all, in the middle of November, the, the ticker tape machine, and they have reactivated Seton Hall. <laughs> you know, you kind of feel good. Is there a slippery rock teacher's? Well, they sure got a football team. Never wins, but they're always there every week, way down. There was another one called Beaver Falls. Did you ever hear of that one? Uh, all right, if you think, all right, I'll give you tri- uh, trivia. Where is Ball State Teachers? Smart guy. All right, okay. You, have you ever heard of it? Never heard of it. Where is Angola State Teachers? Look at the dumb look everybody's giving me. Speaking of dumb look, we'll be at uh, Seton Hall tomorrow night at 8.30. <laughs> we'll be at the Student Union building there, and the tickets are on the first-come, first-served basis. They have six of them. Now, 
let's see. Do we have another one here? We have, uh, oh, uh, electronic workshop? Yeah. Uh, somebody sent me a card here. It says, Shepard, why don't you mention something? This is a card. He says, why don't you mention something about KLH speakers? I have a pair of, of sixes, and I don't think I could do too much better at twice the price. Now, this is just a guy wrote me who's had uh, KLH apparently for years. And if you're looking for really great hi-fi equipment of all types, not only KLH, uh, I would most uh, highly recommend the Electronic Workshop at 26 West A Street down in the village. Uh, they have all the KLH stuff. They have, in fact, all the international high-fidelity equipment. And they will match anybody's prices anywhere. That's the Electronic Workshop, 26 West A Street, Gramercy 30140. Does somebody else want me to play another uh, another college song on my uh, on my thing? Oh, don't worry, I know what it is. So before we do that, we'll do Rover, uh, the car. I have another thing here I want to do about Rover. Uh, I guess I left it. No, here it is. Here's here's a little ad that I clipped out. Uh, Rover, the turbine racing car of Le Mans fame, is now on display for a period of two weeks, ending Friday, December. 24th, and that's at the Langton at 543 West 57th Street, which is one of the big Rover dealers. But the, the only reason I'm reading this is to let you know that Rover really is one of the most advanced automobiles in the world. Uh, it's a great machine, and the Rover 2000 is probably the greatest thing they've ever built uh, on a mass-produced basis outside of the, the incredible Land Rover. Uh, this is the Rover 2000, a Gran Turismo, and a car that is an absolute joy to drive. Okay? Wow, we're back in business. You know, uh, uh, speaking of, of, uh, of, of terrible moments, I have, you know, we, tonight we start out a show and I says, you know, I'm just going to do a show of ridiculous rotten moments. And I have a clipping here from Redwood City, which is in California. And uh, it's about a guy that robbed a, a branch of the Bank of America. He picked up 3700 bucks. In the presence of a dozen employees and 15 customers, they're all standing around. You know, it's the middle of the afternoon. This guy comes in, and he was lugging a nickel-plated old Western-style six-shooter. He had a big old Roscoe, you know, the kind that you see in the old Gary Cooper. It was a big one, a nickel-plated one. That's a big gun. That's a genuine Roscoe. And he had this big old Roscoe, and he had on a red mustache, a big red mustache, a Swiss Tyrolean hat. And a turtleneck sweater. <laughs> and he laid it on him, see? And they, they, they handed him the 3700 bucks. He turns around and he starts to go. And before he goes, but he's standing there, see? And he turns to look at all of them. And they look at him. He's holding this big Roscoe. He's wearing his Tyrolean hat and his red mustache and his turtleneck sweater. And he says, this is a hell of a way to earn a living. <laughs> You know, you never, you never think, you never think of a guy who is a, uh, a member of the mafia, you know, and he's sitting there with all his henchmen sitting around him, and he tiny looks at one of them, he says, you know, Giuseppe, greasy thumb, this is a hell of a way to earn a living. Yeah. Uh, if I only had opened a hamburger stand. Someday I'm going to get a little farm somewhere. What a rotten way to earn a living. <laughs> and the swag is all there in front of them, you know. And the mouths are coming in from the seeping through the walls. Well, this uh, this is this is the here's another little scene that I've got here. I want to bring this up here. 
Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to mention that one. It's terrible. It's an awful scene there. Now, one, 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 one little thing. Here's another great moment. You know, I believe we're living in times of the dynamic cop-out. Great things. <laughs> I mean, really, truly, the, the, the great cop-out. I, I don't care whether it's international. It's just a great cop-out. I will change the name of the town. I will change the name of the guy. But this is an item from a big newspaper in a big town. I'll read it to you. Let's call the town Whoopieville, okay? A Whoopieville man wants $10,000 for falling off a bar stool in a Whoopieville cafe. <laughs> Charlie W. Watanabe, if he wins his case, interested observers feel it may affect the tavern business considerably. I will read this to you. Watanabe claims he suffered a broken right leg in the fall from a bar stool owned by a guy who runs a bar called the Bluebird Rest. He said that in his suit, he went into this place early in the morning. He had a business to discuss with a friend of his. And then later on at 1.30 in the afternoon, by the way, he went in at 9.40 in the morning. At 1.30 in the afternoon, Watanabe was visibly intoxicated. As a result, lost his balance and fell heavily to the floor, breaking his leg. He is now suing the tavern for serving him all that all that soup. Apparently, the fact that he drunk it has no bearing on it, you know. Somehow, I, you know, and this, this, uh, this, uh, this, this really, in a way, says so much about our morality and our attitude. Believe me, I have seen guys get mad because they hit another guy in the mouth and they cut their knuckles. And sue him. I'm mean, really get mad. Look what you did to my look at my hand is bleeding. All these smokes. Everybody saw it. Look at your teeth stuck right in there. Oh wow. Well, it's part of the uh, the great cop out. I, I've seen that so many times. I, I was in I was in a cab one day. I'll never forget this. I'm in a cab, and I'm sitting in the back seat of the cab, and this guy is driving the cab. I was right there. You know, it's a very embarrassing moment. I'm sitting in the back of the cab. Now, when you're in a cab, you have a vague feeling that you're supposed to be on the side of the cab driver in any argument. You know, he's on your side. You know, he's on your team. When we're sitting in a cab, and this cab driver's turning around me, see, and he's saying, And I, you know what I told that guy? I said to him, Look, Charlie, if the Yankees win the pennant, why, I'm an old goulash. That's what I am. And I said, Not only that, you can call me overshoe, see? <laughs> well, I was talking to Charlie. Oh, get out of the way, you bum. Well, I said, and he turns back, he toots the horn, he's talking away there. And I'm watching, and the traffic is going past. And he finally turns to me to make his point. See, he raises his finger like that. And I said, look, if them crummy Mets win a pennant before the year 2000, pow! We run into the back of another cab. We are going about 18 miles an hour. You know, we're not going fast enough. I saw it happen. I was going to, ah, boom, and it happened so quick. That guy was out of that cab in a shot. He jumped out of the cab, didn't say a word, opened the door, runs around the front. He rips open the cab of the other guy and he says, What do you think you're doing, you nut? Get out of here. What do you think you're, what are you doing? Sitting in the middle of the street just like that? What kind of a nutty driver are you? All of a sudden, he turns around, saying, he hollers, You as a witness, come on out here. Give me a name and address. Did you see what this guy did? Just stand on out. 
well, you know, it's all part of the new, it's part of the new scene. You know, it's just one little moment, moments that just sort of happen. And I'm, uh, I, I once was witness. Now, you know, we we all go to we all go to comedies. Uh, a comedy is probably the least realistic of all theatrical forms. It really is. It's almost pure fantasy, in spite of all the jazz that you hear about it. You know, people say it's reality. You know, oh, get out of it, you know. Uh, most comedies are based on a totally uh, unbelievable situation. And, in fact, most com- you know, the, the old, in fact, most of the Shakespearean comedies, you just can't believe for 30 seconds. You can't. It's impossible. You know, the business of the mistaken identity, where, where, uh, where a girl... Uh, who was, uh, let's say, 22 years old, disguises herself as an eight-year-old boy and comes back and they don't know it, and the cousin mistakes his aunt for his Uncle Charlie, and then, oh, you know, it's, oh, totally, I must, you can't believe it. Well, only once in my life did I see a scene that was so unbelievable, it was out of pure slapstick. Like this guy falling off the bar stool and then getting up and suing the guy that runs the bar. It was pure slapstick. Would you bring me a little slapstick music on you? This is a classic slapstick. Got the scene there? Okay. And I, this is a, a scene which, which uh, forever has made me believe that some slapstick could, in effect, happen. Now, uh, two of the greatest artists of all time, I think, in, in the world of the slapstick, uh, well, Laurel and Hardy, yeah. Now, most of Laurel and Hardy's uh, premises on which they based whatever it was they were doing were usually physical. Maybe that's why they last so long. Now, they don't, they don't base it on the mistaken identity. They don't base it on any of these things. They base it on things that actually could happen. Like, uh, have, you, have you ever seen their classic scene of these two guys pushing a piano? Uh, uh, you know, really, if you did ever try to push a piano, it's a, it's, it's a fantastic situation. <laughs> I'll tell you, I saw, I saw two guys one time. Now, this is apart from the other story that I'm going to tell you. But I saw two guys one time trying to take a ten and a half cubic foot refrigerator up a flight of stairs. They were amateur movers. They were going to do it themselves. You know, they were not movers. They were amateur movers. Well, they started this thing up, and they got it about a third of the way up the second flight. They had see that's the trouble with the amateur. He gets close enough to think he may do it. And then all of a sudden, it all falls apart. These two guys had this refrigerator. One guy's on the, on the, on the bottom of it. See, he's the big one. He's holding this refrigerator from the bottom. The other guy is steering, see, and he's pulling it. He's got a rope. And so the two of them are struggling up with this refrigerator. And I happen to be up at the top watching this. There was only room for two guys. Well, they came to a slight bend. The stairs made a bend. And they had not calculated it, see. And here's the guy down on the bottom. What's the matter, Charlie? Charlie says, yeah, it's, it bends. Move it a little to the right. Put it to the right. Come on, Fred, to the right. And I'm watching this thing, and it's now teetering over just ever so slightly backwards. And the guy on the top says, pull it over a little bit to the right. Come on, now, over. It's got, and it was about a quarter of an inch, see, just about to make it. Oh, up, up. And suddenly the door swung open. They had not attached the door, which, of course, is the first thing that a pro will do. He'll tape the door shut. The door goes, 
and eggs, uh, tomatoes, uh, cabbages, old hamburgers, and it's all flying down. And the guy in the bus says, what are you doing? Up? And the eggs are crashing all over the place. And the other guy got panicky. He grabs the door. He says, it's all blown out. He throws the door up like that. And as he does so, the refrigerator tilts over backwards now because he moved it too quickly. And now I see the legs of the guy underneath. He says, ah, 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 ah. And with that, he sort of goes down on one knee and the refrigerator goes, And these two guys... One guy is down on one knee, and there's ham on the top of his head, and he's got eggs all over his back, and there's cabbages all over him. And the other guy's sitting there with the rope, and he's got a piece of celery. That's all he could grab is the thing went away from him, you know. And they're sitting there. Well, I couldn't help it, you know. I started to laugh. And these guys, in, in real comedy, these guys, you know what would happen in real comedy? Laurel would sort of look helpless, and Hardy would say, well, now what have you done? No, this is exactly what happened. I'm at the top of this. Holy smokes. Oh, what a scene. Oh, wow. Well, the guy about halfway down the steps with the eggs all over his head, he says, shut up, you lout. I'll come up and hit you in the mouth. And that was it. We stood around for a couple of minutes, and then we started to clean up. What a scene. Well, I'm going to tell you a scene that I saw. It just, it just out of the blue, walking down the street. You can just see it right now in a Laurel and Hardy picture. Shepherd walking down the street. See? Every man, see, walking down the street. And now I arrive in front of the pool room. And this pool room is right on the corner of this little town. And around the pool room is a gravel driveway. It goes all the way around. And the pool room is like on an island, see, right on the corner. And it's one of those pool rooms. You know how pool rooms load their front windows with old Coca-Cola signs and Bull Durham signs and all kinds of stuff so you can't see in, see? It's just that the signs are all over the place, you know. There's Copenhagen snuff and everything. And there's the gold letters that are half-peating off. It says, Pool Room, Idle Hour Billiard Parlor. And I am now right in front of the pool room. The light changes, see? It's red. And I'm standing here, and the sun is overhead, and it's one of those calm days, and a car comes along, he stops for the light, and he's sitting there, and I look over there, and I says, a new Chevy, and inside the pool room, I can hear the sound of pool balls hitting against pool balls, you know, you could smell the smoke, and you know, it's just a, and it was just one of those calm, peaceful days. Well, now the light is changing to yellow. And I notice the guy in the Chevy. I'm not really looking, you know. He's just sitting over there next. And suddenly I see coming up behind him a squad car. And these two guys, I'm telling you, if you think car 54 contained a couple of cloud heads, these two guys, I don't know what they were playing, Monopoly or ping pong or something in this squad car. They're going, da, 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 da. one's looking out of the window one way, the other's looking out of the window one way. And I see this squad car is coming right up against this poor car that's sitting waiting for the light. No other car in miles. And it goes, pow! Oh, 
you hear cream crash, bang, clunk, you know, water and stuff squirting. And you see these two cops <laughs> look out of their squad car. And the hood of their squad car goes... You know how the hood flies up like that? It flies straight up in the air. And I'm watching the scene, and boom, it went. And I watch, and I see this guy who is in the Chevy. His door goes... Oh, it flies open, and out he comes. He just flies. It's an instant hit. His door flew open. He flew out, and right on his behind, he landed. I couldn't believe it. He just plump. You know, he wasn't hurt. He just landed. He was a little round, fat guy. He looked like, oh, uh, Edgar Kennedy, something like that. He landed right on his behind, and his hat flies off, and he looks around, and he sees the squad car with the hood up. Seen a big thing. It says car 48 on the side, a big star, big lights, the U lights. And these two cops are looking out with a big lantern jaws, and he sees this guy sitting on his behind, and suddenly the Chevy starts to go. You got it? The Chevy starts to go all by itself without a soul in it. He has put the thing in first, and when he got slammed in the behind, he flew out, his foot came off the clutch, and the car just went... The cops see the car, see? It's going now with his trunk all bashed in, its door open, it goes... And it goes right in front of me, right around the corner, about 25 miles an hour. No, no. With that, the little guy, the Edgar Kennedy type, he looks up and sees his new Chevy leaving. He says, my car! Oh, my car! Look what you've done to my car! And he runs around and he's chasing the car. He is behind the car. It is going about 25 miles an hour. He's sweating and his sweat is flying. And he keeps every 30 seconds, he turns around. Look what you've done to my car! And the two cops start to blow their whistles. I couldn't figure it out. One goes, whoa. He figures the car would hear it, you know, and stop. Well, look, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in the middle of this madhouse, and I'm the only one. I'm watching it. The car goes right around the corner and goes right into the gravel driveway and goes right around the back of the pool room, right out the front again, and now passes the squad car. The guys are still sitting. They can't get their car going. The wheels are all pushing it. Oh, oh, one tries to stop it. It's coming right up. Oh, oh, oh. He jumps out of the way. Right around the corner it goes, and the cops, the two cops, the fat guy are all chasing the car. It makes three complete loops right around this thing, and I'm watching. Oh, no. No. Oh, they're going to get run over. Look out. Here it comes again. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, oh. Well, as it went around, the loops were getting smaller and smaller, and finally it had to happen. I saw it happen. It was getting closer and closer. The squad car is standing there, the smoke coming out of the front of it. The car goes around the front of the squad car. It makes a real sharp turn, goes around the back of the pool room on its third loop, and then makes another sharp turn, and right into the side of the pool room. And this thing is in first gear, and she ain't stopping. It just goes... And the side of the pool room comes down, and you hear all these guys in the pool room. Oh, oh, it's a raid! It's a raid! Ah, oh, oh, it's a raid! Holy smokes! Oh, 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 And with that, 47 guys came pouring out of the pool room, trailing cards, dirty pictures, bootleg whiskey, heroin pot. 
you name it. They all came pouring out like rats leaving a sinking ship. And with that, a fire started in the back of the pool room. The still blew up. Yeah, look, bring... And once again, I have been witness to another chapter in man's adventuresome life. I could hear from the far distant corners of the town the sound of advancing fire engines. I could see pot smokers. I could see pushers. I could see poker players. Guys who were selling dirty pictures, scurrying as far as the eye could see, and the little man with his eyes bulging. What was in my car? Well, now, I'm telling you, if, 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 if whenever, whenever I've told people about that scene, they just can't believe it. They cannot believe the scene. They say, oh, come on, Shep, cut it out. Well, I stood in the middle of that, that, that cacophony of excitement and yelling, and these two cops, were, the faces were red, and they rounded up a band of 47 miscreants. <laughs> they rounded up the whole scene, and the place burnt down. And you know, I wonder how the insurance company handled that. I was just, I couldn't help but think of that. And then one other scene that I saw one day, just again, one of the unbelievable scenes. I saw a bus coming along on the same corner, believe it or not. The bus is coming, gets right out in the middle of the intersection. This bus is coming along there, you know. Big bus, great big fella, you know, it's filled with 178 steel workers. It gets about halfway through the intersection. And I see coming down the street, absolutely wide open, no brakes, nothing. I see this this open automobile. It's an open car. comes tearing down the street, and without any warning, it drives right into the side of this bus. Pow! Good, holy smokes, he's killed. The car goes up like that. The back end flips over the bus. It goes right down the other side and lands on all four wheels. And this guy and this chick sitting in there, and the radio is still playing. They were not even shaken up. The bus driver gets out of his bus. He looks at these two, and he says, what do you think you're doing? And they sat there. All they had was a flat tire in the left rear. And there was a fantastic roar of applause. Twenty-five people who were waiting to see the bus come applauded this. It was one of the greatest Ed Sullivan acts ever seen. Speaking of Ed Sullivan, you know, somehow, I have a feeling, looking at Ed Sullivan once in a while on a Sunday night, that you're looking at all of mankind there. I mean, the Yale marching team. I mean, you know, Oppenheimer stands up. And the next thing you know, the dog acts appear. They do a couple of quick acts from, say, uh, Don Giovanni. They close off with the Beatles. And you've had it all. And maybe a quick visit by Stephen Spender. Who knows? Stay tuned, gang. Life is moving on. <laughs>